Welcome to episode eight of the Civil War Breakfast Club, joined by the lovely Queen of the North, Mary Fincher. I am merely Darren Weeks, and Mary, it's already episode eight. Can you believe this is eight already for us? I was just thinking that today. It seems like yesterday that we sat down to record our inaugural episode outside, and it's October already too. But yeah, I can't believe it's at episode eight. I was just thinking, I'm like, well, two or two episodes away from ten. Wow! Again, the math skills already. We just started. I know, right? <laughs> I graduated from the Collins School of Math. There you go. If I did, then I would have had Pinkerton as one of my teachers, and he would have told me to inflate everything by five percent. So really, we should be going on to like episode. 50. <laughs> Welcome to episode 77 of the Civil War Bra- Breakfast Club. Anyway, you mentioned sitting outside. It's funny. It's cold and chilly, but I'm still outside. It looks like you've gone inside to your, you've gone into Staley Fincher Manor back there in Canada. And you seem to be, uh, I guess it's too cold, huh? Some people are just tougher than others, I guess. He's sitting outside freezing. But I do it all for the podcast, Mary. I do it all. Yeah. Yeah, you can give me the finger all you want. It's totally cool <laughs> because I'm frostbitten, so I don't even notice. So it doesn't even make a difference. Yeah, but I'll just have to listen to you bitch about it after the podcast. Oh, wow. Coming and bringing in the heat early. That's yeah, one way to keep it warm around here. Anyway, so how was your week? We had a, had a good uh, good podcast last week. We had a fantastic Facebook Live last yes. Saturday. Good. Thanks for anybody who joined us. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, thanks to everybody who joined us for those lives. Every time we do one, I think, okay how can we top this? And then somehow it happens. And it just, it was, it was really fun. There's lots of cool people out there and we are going to have on, I think it's October 21st from six to 7 PM. We are going to have our own civil war roundtable. Big news, big news. So here at the, uh, the, the civil war breakfast club world headquarters, as we decided to roll on our own roundtable. We, we talked a little bit about the details of it on the live, but basically in a nutshell, we're going to get some people together on the 21st from 6 to 7, yeah. right? Yeah. 6 to 7. And if, you, if you're interested, you can email us at Club at gmail, gmail.com, and we'll send you the information for it via Zoom. It's not going to be a traditional roundtable where we got someone, some talking heads spinning facts for an hour. We're going to make it like we're all sitting at the bar, just having a good time, just trying to just trying to get to know everybody. So hopefully you can join us. If you're interested, just email us at the email you site. Know, Civil War Breakfast Club at gmail.com. One of us will likely, probably Mary, get back to you. I'm not good at things like that, apparently, but that's okay. We'll take care of that. Hopefully we can get a big group on here and it's like a good regular group. And it seems like we've got a good little regular community developing already with a lot of people. Yeah, like on Twitter, which it's funny, you know, like sometimes, you know, for instance, Real Splitter podcast, our sibling podcast, that face Facebook community is very, very active. But with ours, it's a little bit of the opposite whereas it's the twitter community that that's pretty active with who we are talking to on there and stuff and the facebook is a little bit quieter which is which is interesting well i just think because twitter is a smarter group of people that's what i think so, hey, hey come on they're all the facebook same too. listeners there but those are the smart ones mary those are the smart ones who found us in two different places and if you're really good you're on instagram that's three places and if you're really 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 good you can go on to youtube and you can see our smiling faces that Mary puts up there. That's four social media sites. Four. One, two, three, four. How was that four? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. Again, the math skills astound. <laughs> wow. Anyway, when we last left you, Mary, we were talking about the Battle of Chickamauga. But what are we drinking tonight? Oh, goodness gracious. I was going to mention that. Well, one of ladies first. How's that? Okay, so I am drinking, it's from Great Lakes Brewery, which is in Toronto. I'm drinking one called Hayes Mama, which is a New England IPA. And I am drinking it out of my James A. Garfield mug. 
which I got at the Garfield Historic Site in Mentor, Ohio, which is an amazing place to visit. Very cool. They give great tours and all that. Obviously, we're talking about Chickamauga tonight. So if you know Chickamauga, you know this is why I chose the mug because Garfield's going to be part of this battle, part of Rosecrans staff. Yeah, the good folks of the Garfield National Historical Site are friends of the podcast, which is pretty cool, which is pretty yeah. good. Uh, so just so you know what... I'm drinking Trillium. It's Trillium Tuesday around this around my world here. Arnold Arb- Arnold Ar- Arnold Arboretum had too many, I guess. <laughs> which is a, a Trillium, the great Trillium from Boston, and I am drinking it out of my Joshua Chamberlain, Joshua's restaurant and tavern mug that I got in Brunswick, Maine, which is right next to his house. Justin's That's a really really cool place. Be- yeah, hey, yeah, Jess. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get up there and get her one of these mugs someday. Yeah, we'll see. So anyway, as we were saying before, um, last time we saw you, we were talking about the Battle of Chickamauga. Yeah, the clusterfuck. Um, the clusterfuck that is, I always wait for you to swear first, Barry. That's yeah. the best part about it. You know, it doesn't take long. If you had three minutes and 21 seconds, you win this, you win. Like a little longer than that, but it's okay. Yeah, we actually had a comment on our, our YouTube videos. One of our listeners watched it and he actually said, it, I think he called it Chicka clusterfuck, which is pretty cool. Yeah, clusterfuck amaga. Yeah, yeah, or clusterfuck. Clusterfuckamaga. We, we would accept Clusterfuckamaga. It might have been Clusterfuck. It might have been Clusterfuckamaga. Oh, I thought I made that up. Oh well. But either way, we'll take either one. But either way, that get, that's the gist of, if you're familiar with the battle, that's the perfect way to describe it. Last we left you, we talked about how the end of the second day, we'll call it. Don't want to piss Mary off and call it the first day. Hey, that's just my opinion. If anybody I, else I, I, it's just I agree days, with your opinion. I, I agree with that. I mean, Minty and Wilder was day one, right? Mm-hmm. So this is day three. We're going to talk about day three, mm-hmm. the Battle of Chickamauga, which is September 20th, 1863. Last we left you, it was the night of the 19th, and there really was kind of a stalemate. Braxton Bragg, um, in charge of the Army of Tennessee, was holding up his staff meeting the night before, the night after the second day, the big day's battle, mm-hmm. reforming his entire army. Now, last time we did this, I made the ungodly mistake of saying all his generals were in the same room. And I have to apologize to Mary because she bit my head off, literally and figuratively. For those because- who admitted to the podcast, you know that I was very, very nice to him about it. And I said, actually, they weren't in the same room. She called me a fucker and told me to go in the corner, I think. I think I think there was more to it, I think. Afterwards, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but in any case. So anyway, we talked about how Bragg reformed his Army of Tennessee. And he changed some things around without telling people. He had some highlights like D.H. Hill was sleep apparently sleeping Bum- somewhere. Around. I posted the map of it on, I think it was Sunday afternoon or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is this some drunken Confederate adventure? No, no, no. This is what's happening the night of September 19th when Bragg is holding his non-war council where he meets with Polk and Longstreet by his campfire, Mm -hmm. but he meets with them separately. And then he says to Polk, okay, you got to relay this to D.H. Hill. D.H. Hill never gets his orders to attack at 6.30 a.m. And he's left, he's bumbling around in the dark. He decides at like three o'clock, I'm just going to lay down and take a nap. And he gets back up. He still can't find Bragg. So then he makes his way over because he's, he's, oh God, what division is he? <laughs> I know he's, he's under poke with the right wing. Am I yeah. Left wing. Left wing. Left, left wing. Because Longstreet's the right wing. Yeah. Yeah. So poke under the left wing. And then it's actually Breckenridge who's supposed to be attacking first, who is yeah. under D.H. Hill. And that's. No, no, I'm sorry. Polk commands the right wing. So he said, Longstreet was the left wing. Yeah. Okay. Too busy thinking about you yelling at me last time, I think. But but basically, Bragg, he has to deal with all this. He's got three lieutenant generals on the field now. He's got James Longstreet. He's got Leonidas Polk. And he has, he has D.H. Hill. He mixes everything up we talked about and really confused the hell out of his army going into the next morning. And so... 
this is pretty much where we left it off last time. So I think we'll start with the sun's rising. It's a bright red sun on the morning of the 20th. The Confederates are planning to attack at 6.30 in the morning, but something doesn't go right, Mary. Well, something doesn't happen. Somebody wakes up in the morning and doesn't hear the guns, and that is Braxton Bragg. Yeah. And he's wondering why the F he's not hearing the guns, because he's like, what the fuck, I gave those orders to Polk and Longstreet. What's, what's going on? So Bragg writes... Soon after he wakes up, with increasing anxiety and disappointment, I waited until after sunrise without hearing a gun and at length dispatched a staff officer to find Polk. So he goes to find Polk to ascertain the cause of the delay. In other words, to ask Polk, what the fuck, dude? What are you doing? Like, why is there no guns? Mm -hmm. And Polk is all just, I don't know, I didn't find Hill. So Bragg's plan is completely derailed. The attack's going to start later. Um, so Bragg will end up bitching to Polk or bitching to his wife about Polk. He'll say of him, he never gave his orders to anybody. He took up his, he went to bed two miles in the rear of his troops. And at eight the next morning, I found him sitting in a fucking long uh, rocking chair in the porch and he couldn't account for what happened. Sounds like an average Saturday morning in my house. So then Polk's got to go and find Hill and he finds him eating Lucky Charms with Breckenridge and Pactor Claiborne. Lucky Charms. Charms. Lucky Charms is good though. I gotta admit, that's pretty good. You know, Claiborne brought that. Oh, he did. Yeah, he totally brought it with him. He brought the Lucky Charms. Poor little Jameson on there. Have a good morning. Yeah, Yeah. when I have Lucky Charms in my house, I eat all the marshmallows and I leave all the other pieces. Oh boy, oh boy. But you know what though? It's it's funny because you, you hear these stories and how these things all kind of blend together. You hear breakfast, you think of Antietam, those guys who didn't get their breakfast from the first Texas. You think of waking up three hours not hearing the guns. You think of Lee at Gettysburg on day two, on July 2nd, 1863. When I hear that they were attacking three hours late because they were having, having breakfast, I assume they were at the same Dunkin' Donuts I do and still frigging in line at the drive-thru because <laughs> that's how long that place takes. So that's probably exactly what happened. But the morning was bright though. We were talking before about the red sun and there's actually james garfield has that quote about it mm-hmm. he wakes up that morning uh james garfield is rosecrans chief of staff he looks up at the sun and it's one of those big bright red suns those big bright ones he called it ominous and said looked at the red sun and it says it will be a day of blood that was a quote that james garfield said wow and he was appropriate because you know what it was yeah. it's a day of blood it was. Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah, I mean, but you know, there was gonna be a battle that day, so that's kind of cheating, of course. Like you yeah. wake up tomorrow morning and say that, and something happens. <laughs> I mean, he knew there was gonna be a freaking battle, but still, gotta give him credit. He called yep. it. Oh, he absolutely did. So then, once they figure out what's what the f is going on, Claiborne and Breckenridge are told to attack. Bragg envisioned this first series of attacks that would go left along the Union line. Is that? Like so, they're starting with Thomas. He was, which would be the he right. was going to hit the right of the Confederate line, hitting the left of the Union line. He was going to do. George Thomas wanted Negley to extend his division to the left, but they hadn't moved yet. We'll talk about Negley here in a little bit. We'll talk about Wood and some other movements that didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. But what they were hoping to do was they were hoping Breckenridge division was hoping to he overlapped Thomas's left. Just imagine. Well, think some overlapping something. That's what he was doing. He's overlapping. So he's got guys from Alabama. He's got guys from Louisiana. He's got guys from Georgia because Georgia's apparently always there. He's going to hit him with basically three brigades. He's got Daniel Thomas. He's got Marcella Stovall and Benjamin Helm he's got. Mm-hmm. So what he's going to do is he's going to try to hit first thing in the morning 
first daylight, the left of the Union line mm-hmm. with, with George Thomas because Bragg's thinking, I can hit that line. He thinks it's weak. He wants to get between Chattanooga and the Union Army, which is south into, into the west. So that's what his goal ultimately probably was. He never really says it, but that seems to be what it was. But it just doesn't take off that way because they get that late start. Yeah, it just his, his plan's completely derailed. But as we're going to see, it's going to kind of work out in his favor, sort of. So the one man you mentioned, Benjamin Hardin Helm, is fighting here. Mm-hmm. And he is actually the brother-in-law of Abraham Lincoln. Helm is married to Mary Lincoln's half-sister, Emily. He's actually going to be wounded here. I've been to, there's a monument for him. It's actually, I think it's right near the visitor center at Chickamauga. I've been there before to see it. And he's mortally wounded. Yeah, he's wounded. He'll, he will die the next day on the 21st. Lincoln and Mary actually go into private mourning for him. Mary could not shed a single tear for him because of who he was, because he was a Confederate and she was afraid of possible scorn it could bring upon the White House. A few months later, Emily, the widow, actually does come to Washington secretly, but it gets found out and it actually causes a little bit of a scandal for for Lincoln. So Helm is going to be one of the more famous of the generals that is, is killed here at this battle. He, he's going to be one of eight brigadier generals killed at Chickamauga, yep. which is a high number for such a relatively short battle. Yeah. The Union is basically going to try to hold until Nickley arrives, because these guys are going to hit. They're going to hit on the left side pretty early, about 9.30 in the morning is where they really, really start. They're going to start with Adams' brigade, Daniel Adams. He's going to hit them at the site of the modern visitor center it is now. Yep. It was a place called the McDonald's House, which is yep. probably where they were having the breakfast, I think mm-hmm. about it now. Yep. And I uh, probably got a McMuffin while they were there. <laughs> having a breakfast. And so he's going to hit basically that point. And then Stovall is going to burst through a gap in Beatty's line. The Union guy, a guy named John Beatty, who is, is, is basically to a right on the north side of the, the Union line. So it's basically going to be the beginning of an entire mess. Stovall is going to break that line. He's going to take possession of that Chattanooga Lafayette road. Did he's going to actually get behind Stovall. Oh, Stovall. I thought you said Stonewall. <laughs> Stonewall's everywhere, Mary. Dead I said Stovall. Okay. Sorry. You know, got Stonewall Jackson on the brain. You must have had some lemons today. You got stuck in a tree today, Mary? I did, actually. Oh, that's why, that's why you're thinking of Stonewall. <laughs> so I will say Stovall. Um, he's got to actually get behind the line, behind the Union troops at Kelly Field for a little bit of time. But kind of a pattern that's going to repeat itself over and over and over again. They're going to burst through, but they're not going to have the support. They're going to have to fall back. Mm-hmm. It happens over and over and over again on the Confederate side. That's on this, this day this battle. I think you put it perfectly when we were talking this morning about this. This is like a bar fight that just goes from room to room to room because yep. you have them on Dyer Field, Kelly Field, and it just goes all along. And I was thinking about that all day. It, it literally is like a bar fight. Mm-hmm. That- Room to room to room. Yeah, just think of like the movie Blazing Saddles, where it's there's a bar fight. It spills over the next scene. Then it spills over the next scene. But, you know, Stovall. I say that's slow now. Give me a mental complex there. Stovall finally, he's gonna he's gonna get behind. But like we said, he's not gonna be able to hold it. So you're gonna get Union reinforcements are gonna arrive at Kelly Fields. Vanderveen's brigade is gonna drive them back with a bayonet charge. So once again, here we see the bayonets again. We don't know if uh, Chamberlain's going to claim credit for that one too, but we'll see. Basically, Vanderbeen's going to push them back. And now you're going to have Daniel Adams' brigade again is going to get hit by troops that are going to be in the woods along that Lafayette Road. Adams, another guy who's going to get wounded, he's going to get captured by Timothy Smith's brigade, who's part of Negley's division. So the Rebs, again, get temporarily pushed back. So it's kind of like 
that little Paul Abdul song, Two Steps Forward, One Step Back. Yep, it's the same as the first day. There's this concert. Why don't you, why don't you try singing that right now? That'd be a perfect way to do it. I'm going to make you sing on this one of these days. Oh, I wish I was in the land of... Whoa! Oh, okay. No. <laughs> that's, that's big news right there. We thought about it. But, but I think, you know, as the beginning of this battle goes, you're going to see rebels. They're going to basically start with are you know, trying to repel back. They're going to get pushed back. It's going to go back and forth. And it's going to be kind of the whole thing in a nutshell. You know, you mentioned Benjamin Hardenhelm, Kentuckian. He's going to get wounded, mortally wounded. He's going to die. And, and that's kind of be how it's going to be as it goes on and on and on. I mean, if you, if you want to imagine the Battle of Chickamauga, just imagine... A, just a, that scene in the Anchorman when they're all fighting, when Steve Carell has the hand grenade, he comes running out with the with a trident. Yep. That's kind of what it is. You've got the news crew, you've got the Spanish TV station showing up, and you've got the sports TV station mm-hmm. showing up. It's one after the other after the other. And, and the union, to their defense, is what they're going to do is they're going to eventually set up set up breastworks that are going to try to hold them off. And you're going to see more of that later on because they're going to realize pretty quickly that these rebel attacks aren't very, they're very uncoordinated. Well, yeah. And they're that way because partly because of the terrain and then partly just because there's, there's miscommunication. This battle is all about miscommunication, Mm -hmm. but there's miscommunication going on with Bragg and his subordinates, as well as there's miscommunication going on between Rosecrans and his subordinates. Like Thomas all morning is saying to Rosecrans, I need more reinforcements. So then Rosecrans, he's sending them, but he's doing it like he did the day before. It's piecemeal. He's breaking up divisions and mm-hmm. he's that has very little regard for the integrity of a battle line. And this is exactly what is going to cost the union the battle is this yeah. battle line integrity because he takes like, you know, foreshadowing, there's going to be a division size hole created. A mile gap? That's going to be something, right? But you know what, though, it, it's almost like who screws up screws up the lease is going to win. This battle re- always reminds me of day one at Gettysburg, where the Confederates did everything wrong and they still won. The Union did everything right for the most part, and they lost. And this is kind of except similar because, order. except except for the one order, right? Well, even the really good commanders in this battle especially on the Confederate side, had their moments. You know, after Breckenridge, his attack fails, he gets knocked back. Next coming along is going to be D.A. Chills, going to be Patrick Claiborne, your boy Claiborne. Yeah, he struggles at this battle too. He he must have too many lucky charms, you know? (laughs) So he's going to attack right after Breckenridge begins. Um, and he, I think he can agree, or you can agree. He, he probably doesn't care because he's been gone a while. Yeah. But he was the best infantry commander in the Army of Tennessee, I believe. Yeah, I think it it's easy, to, pretty simple to say. So, he, But he's going to screw up because he's going to attack. But he's going to attack on a front that's way too wide. I think Breckenridge was getting pushed back, so there was no real support. So when he goes in, he's basically taking his three brigades. He's going to go against four whole post divisions that are behind breastworks. Yeah, ain't gonna ain't gonna turn out no, too too well could, for him. But it could have also been because the terrain they weren't able to see a lot. Mm-hmm. He's going to be further back from his troops as well, probably kind of mm-hmm. watching them. And that was the one thing, like all the the smoke from the rifles and just the way the terrain was undulations. <laughs> Whoa, you did it! I'll just say Massachusetts hey, correctly. Someone, you know, someone a... backed me up on Twitter and said it could also be Rolling Hills. <sighs> it's undulations. Okay. We're trying to be a high class podcast, Mary. So it's undulations. Well, you got me as part of it. So that's out the door. Well, <laughs> 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 goodness gracious. You're like our, you know, Butterfield of the, of the podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> swearing and drinking. Yeah, but I think the terrain probably had something to do with it. And yeah, like he's not. Oh, it, having, did. it totally did. He's he's not having his best day, but it's also because it's going to filter from the top down. It's like, well, they don't get their orders, and they're eating breakfast, and they're like, "You got to get into your battle line." Like it's like, okay, fine. Well, I mean, and Claiborne, I mean, he expected Breckridge to still be there. He didn't expect him to. I mean, he basically is going out and he can't find them. So one of his brigade commanders, a guy named Lucius Polk, who was the nephew of, of Leonidas Polk, he's one of the brigade commanders under Claiborne. He's commanding the right wing of Claiborne's division. He's supposed to find Breckenridge's left. That's his first job to find it. And you know, hey, fuck, I can't find it. He can't find it. So he ends up stumbling around, not just him, this whole brigade, yeah. in the woods, the terrain. He doesn't find Breckridge. You know who he finds? He finds the center of the Union line instead. So now he's unsupported. He's unprotected. He's pinned down. He's getting his ass handed to him. So he fails, right? Mm -hmm. The next guy comes along, Sterling Alexander Martin Wood, who wins the All 48 Name Award for that one. And and basically, he doesn't, you know, he didn't know Lucius Polk fell back. He didn't know he went to the right. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're attacking piecemeal. And by the time they're getting there, the people they're supposed to support, they're, they're either falling back or they're dissolved. And they can't find them. So these guys are going in basically one, one brigade at a time, one division at a time. They're running into the Union behind these breastworks, and they're not supported. So again, it goes back to, like we were saying before about pick a battle, Antietam, Manassas, any of them that we've talked about. It seems that the common thread for the Confederacy in this war is piecemeal, unsupported attacks that ends up making them fall on their dicks every single time. (laughs) Nice use of that term. First time ever in the podcast. Oh, fall on their dicks. Good. (laughs) But that's kind of what happens. Well, yeah, it is. And it goes, it also goes back to the point that we mentioned in part one of this, that this is considered to be a soldier's battle Mm -hmm. simply because of not only the train, but the piecemeal, the breaking of the divisions and the corps, whatever from their commanders that the soldiers are having to fight this battle and make these decisions on their own because they can't get word back to their commanders. The commanders can't get word to the subordinates as to what's going on. So the way I look at this battle, like one of the things that makes it so interesting is because of the chaos behind it. It is a much more complicated battle to look at than say Gettysburg just because mm-hmm. it is fought so piecemeal. It's like a series of different, all different battles, or like you said, the, the bar fight just spilling from room to room to room. Like it's hard to keep track it's of a, all that's going on in this battle. Well, you mentioned Gettysburg. It's like a big version of the wheat field. Mm-hmm. And if, if all the Gettysburg people, if you obviously, you know, the wheat field, you, you basically have the third core, the fifth core, the second core, the fifth core again, and rolling in, against Ty Anderson and Kershaw and, and all these guys, Sems and Wofford, one after the other coming in. It's like this heavyweight fight, boom, 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 that just doesn't that just doesn't stop. So, you know, the Union commander James Brandon, he's there, his division's there under Thomas, and he's he's been back on that west side of that Chattanooga Road. You know, he gets attacked by Alexander Stewart, the math professor from your your neck of the woods there. Yeah. Um, and he's gonna get repulsed again. Basically, by the time you get to just before noontime on the 20th, every single rebel attack at that point has failed. And they still have, they have more guys. And now they're slowly chipping away at the Union, though. Because what that's going to do, it's going to make Rosecrans and Thomas nervous about their left flank. And that's going to tell the story for the rest of the day yeah. about their perception of what's going on in that left flank where Thomas is. And that's where we have the order that called that fateful order that comes through to Thomas or to not to Thomas, but to Wood, his first name, Tom, I think Thomas Wood. Thomas Wood. <laughs> yeah. comes through to him. 
at about 10.50 in the morning, he gets this order basically is to close up upon Joseph Reynolds as fast as possible and support him. And in army speak, close up means to make a sidestep and close any gap and support means to form a line behind. So this order from Rosecrans is very much like when someone vague books. <laughs> Have you ever had anybody vague book before, Darren? Like, have you seen vague, vague book? book? Vague book. That's when somebody makes a post on Facebook and it's really vague, but you know they're calling somebody out. Oh, I mean, like a conversation with you on the phone, kind of? <laughs> I was choking, laughing. That was the fastest figure in the West. You're like, Mad Dog Tannen. Fastest yeah, gun that's in the exactly. West. <laughs> Make like a tree and get out of here. Get, get like a tree and get out of here. So, Thomas is concerned and Rosecrans is concerned about getting cut off from Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. So the Union line goes basically north to south. If you're looking at a map, the top is where Thomas is going to be. And so he's afraid that Bragg, who's already overlapping him, is going to get around him and he's going to cut them off. And that's, that's their biggest fear, uh, is they're going to be cut off. So at this point, I think Bragg gets decides he's going to get really, really aggressive now. Mm-hmm. So he's, going to, he's really going to try to put the wood to them. Not the Thomas wood, the wood. Okay, so Bragg ordered – see what I did there? Bragg ordered all his divisions – the look you just gave you was awesome. I hope people watch this. It was a combination of drop dead, F you, and what are you talking about all at the same time. It was a great look. Great look. It was. Anyway, so Bragg orders all his division commanders to go into action at this point. You're talking about maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. Stewart's division is going to attack. You're going to basically have attacks from guys like William Preston, Hyman. And this is really going to be the, uh, really the, the brunt of the Confederate attack on this day. John Bell Hood's going to have a group, which is going to be about a half a mile long, his own column on that Brotherton Road. He's going to have like 11,000 guys. That's going to be right there. He's going to have Joseph Kershaw. He's going to have Benjamin Humphreys. So the Gettysburg people, remember Benjamin Humphreys, Mississippi. He fought at the Peach Orchard, fought at the Weefield. It's all the same guys. And it was this group in front that was making the Union nervous. This was the, I mean, it was making Brandon nervous and those guys. Yeah. They didn't want to leave that middle. And so when Thomas wanted reinforcements, he was taking guys from that middle and they were going to have to go to the north and they were weakening that center. Is what they were really doing. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Go ahead. You go. You guys got Evander Law. He's there in the middle of the column. Jerome Robertson's Texans were there. You got you got Henry Rock betting, the other rock from this battle, by the way, (laughs) the Union Rock. This is a Confederate rock. A bunch of Georgians. And you're going to have the famous Bushrod Johnson with his monocle and his velvet smoking jacket, right in the middle of the line. He's going to be the spearhead of this attack. So when you look at the total numbers, you got you're talking twenty three thousand guys, yeah. Okay, which is a lot of people. Okay, in case you're curious, and they're all going to move forward. They're all going all at the same time. This is a this is the one type of stop piece meal. So they're getting pressure from these troops is what's keeping Negley from really joining Thomas on the left. He sees this gigantic force forming in front of him, so he's getting reports. Hey, you're going to get your ass up here to support Thomas. He's like, I got about twenty three thousand freaking guys here. I don't think I should probably be going. So he basically, it, it's it's that gap that they're going to eventually burst through that's going to cause the breakthrough later. On. Yeah, and so what happens is um, Kellogg, who is Thomas's nephew, and he's also on his staff, he goes to find Brannon and says, "I need all of you. I don't just need your reserve. I need all of you." So Brannon takes him over to Joseph Reynolds and they, they talk. And at the time, 
Brandon and Reynolds agree. Yes, we can spare we can, we can spare that. And Reynolds just said, I'm really concerned though that this is going to weaken my right flank. So you need to go talk to Rosecrans about this and let him know this is what's happening. Kellogg ri- rides away to tell Rosecrans about this. In the meantime, Brandon and Reynolds change their minds. And Reynolds is like, I don't want you to go. You need to stay. But they don't send a, cl- a courier to clarify matters. So this gets the ball rolling on that fateful order that ta- that Wood is about that Wood is going to get soon. Kellogg arrives at Rosecrans headquarters, assuming Brandon will be moving. That's when the order is written, and it's not written by Garfield. Garfield is normally the one to write these orders. He's busy writing other orders. So mm-hmm. Rosecrans dictates it to another man on his staff, and it's believed that order may have been misinterpreted, and it was written incorrectly. And Rosecrans does not read the order, but before it leaves his headquarters. And the other thing that happens in this breakdown of communication is Wood is fighting under Crittenden in oh, the core. I can't remember the core number. I just know that the core commander is Crittenden. It's 21. 20, yeah, the 20, right, the 21st core. Well, XXI. XXI. If you want. If you're, if you're feeling kind of especially Roman tonight. XXI. XX sounds better. XXI. core. <laughs> normally it would go to the core commander to see what was going on. And then from mm-hmm. there it would, it would go on to wood. No, it just goes to wood and wood gets it. And he's probably like, what the fuck? And wood is like this close to being court-martialed because he'd already been apparently. And there's, this is another thing. Like this is a bit of a, like could be a myth about the battle of Chickamauga, but apparently wood had been dressed down by Rosecrans for some reason earlier in the day and Wood was not about to have that happen again and risk getting court-martialed for something. So he's like, whatever the fuck, I'm going to obey this order. So he goes to talk to McCook of the 20th Corps. He's the commander of that. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a conversation that goes on between them and, and Wood is just like, okay, I'm going to move. Yeah, basically, it, it, it reminds me, you know what it reminds me of a little bit? It reminds me of that story on July 2nd at Gettysburg when Lee gave McClaw's order directly and bypassed Longstreet, according to yeah. Longstreet. And so Rosecrans, for whatever reason, gives the order directly to Thomas Wood, bypasses Crittenden, just like you said. Now you got poor Wood. He doesn't know what the friggin' hell's going on. But Cook says, yeah. dude, you better follow the fucking order. You just take yeah. the, just follow the goddamn order. And so now Wood's going to start to move out. So now McCook is going to have to find soldiers to replace him. And while that big mass disaster is going on, so while McCook is looking for soldiers to replace that, fill that hole that McCook, that uh, Wood just vacated, yeah. it's that very moment that Longstreet attacks. Yeah, that Longstreet is like, oh, you look, could the not, barn doors wide open. Let's I mean, fucking crash that party. I mean, you you could not, I mean, if you're, if you're Rosecrans or not Rosecrans, but specifically, but if you're a guy like, if you're a guy like McCook, you got to be saying, you got to be shitting me. This is a bad order from the beginning. I, you know, he has to follow it. But that very moment, that very moment, I finally, he's gone. I'm finally starting to get people to come back. There's John Bell Hook. There's 11,000 Texans and Alabamans and Arkansans and everybody else is going to come right through. Yep. And it's going to be complete mayhem. I mean, it's just, you can't, you, you couldn't make it any better. It, no, you really, really couldn't. It's like, it's sad, but it kind of unfolds like a Monty Python sketch in my head. It's like how, like, I can just imagine Wood showing up 
and Brandon and Reynolds are there and they're probably like, what the fuck are you doing so, here? So is, McC- is McC- McCook singing, always look on the bright side of life. So, oh, wait, but that's perfect though because it's Hood and he's basically the Black Knight, right? Ooh, <laughs> making fun of the people with one arm. Look at you go. <laughs> Ouch. He lost an arm and a Lego. <laughs> and a Lego, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Jen, for that one. Uh, yeah, if you want to follow our Facebook Live, you know, the, the whole Lego fiasco and the <laughs> Lego versus Mago controversy <laughs> at Gettysburg. So Long, Longstreet's left wing, which is, is still new, newly organized, this is still a new army, yep. he's going to attack with three divisions, eight brigades, and five lines, 11,000 strong on a 700-yard front aimed at the exact point I'm slapping my hand to make it more effectual. The exact point where Wood is pulling out a line. The exact point. That's going to be really fun to edit in the podcast. That's what's going on, though. If that's what's happening for the Union. So this is the point now where the Confederates, maybe they're smelling blood. They finally have the upper hand. The Union line is going to be a fluid mess. What's the phrase? It's going to be a... It's going to be a a clusterfuck. It's going to be be a clusterfuck. Like, basically what happens is Rosecrans sitting at his headquarters and all of a sudden he looks over to the woods and he sees all these like blue troops coming towards him and he's probably thinking these guys are going the wrong way (laughs) what what's happening and then all of a sudden it's just this sea of gray and that's when rosecrans has to evacuate the dance floor and go back to chattanooga he's gonna take off you got bush rad bush rad bush bush rad bush with the sun that's that's his sunglasses alter ego bush rad Bush Rod Johnson is going to push forward. He's going to go and push the Dyer's field. You're going to see Evander Law is going to attack Brandon and Pofield. Again, these union lines crumble. Brandon's line is going to fall apart. This is all taking place right on the doorstep of Rosecrans headquarters. He's going to personally try to rally the troops himself, but I don't know what the hell he's going to say. Finally, he's going to call it a day. He's yeah, going to he's leave. He's, he's, going to, he's, he's going to say, Rosecrans Rose is going to go whoop whoop we're up the dance floor he's going to McCook Crittenden come with me <laughs> we got the limousine out back let's get the hell out of here let's, let's blow this so they're all, they're all, Ag- Bush, Bush Rad actually has a really good account of this Bush Rad's really really doing good so though, so you're gonna, right off the bat you're going to see Rosecrans is going to be heading to Chattanooga McCook's going to be gone Crittenden's going to be gone and it's like a mass exodus you know leaving the, at the battlefield and you know there's these stories where you've got these guys like Major John Mendenhall, he's going to have about 30 guns up on the ridge trying to hold them off with mm-hmm. cannon. But he's got no infantry support, and he's going to try to do that. Now you got Polk, who's going to start attacking Thomas to the north, so it's yeah. spreading up there. The bar fights head north now. Yeah, and Thomas um, has no idea what's going on. Um, no? but, but Bushrod Johnson's account of what happens, like the Confederate – to have a Confederate account of how this all goes down is pretty cool. He said, our lines now emerged from the forest into open ground of long open fields over which the enemy were retreating under cover of several batteries. The scene now presented was unspeakably grand. The resolute and impetuous charge, the rush of our heavy columns sweeping out from the shadow and gloom of the forest into the open fields flooded with sunlight, mm-hmm. the glitter of arms, an onward dash of artillery and mounted men, the retreat of the foe, the shouts of their hosts of our enemy, the dust, the smoke, the noise of firearms and grape shot and of bursting shell made up a scene of unsurpassed grandeur. So he's just like, he's very much a poet as he's writing. Can you imagine, imagine Bushrod saying this wearing his monocle, wearing yeah, his, his totally, smoking jacket, totally. sitting on a big leather chair surrounded totally. by leather books, furniture made of rich mahogany. Yeah, he's telling the grandkids the story. The mm-hmm. funny thing about Bushrod is he's a northerner too. He's born in yeah, Ohio. Born in Ohio. Nothing good comes out of Ohio. 
That's true. Well, Lytle does. Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. But, um, Grant. Yeah, it's a different. Okay, fine. You're right, Mary. <laughs> but again, this is the beginning of really the, I don't want to say beginning of the end, because we're going to find out here in a little bit about the stand the union's going to make. Brandon's going to get attacked by Stuart and Law's division in their fronts. He's going to lose 15 guns. Bushrod's going to basically get up there. He's going to, he's going to stand on the ridge and he's going to give a report, kind of like what you just said, where he saw the union army, all the soldiers running towards Chattanooga. Yep. And all I could think about when I read that today was, E.P. Alexander's quote in Gettysburg at the Peach Orchard, thinking he saw the war coming to an end. He saw the Union soldiers running. He thought he saw the end of the war right mm-hmm. there. And it's so rare me to mention E.P. Alexander at night, exactly. not in the afternoon, actually. But that's another. I know. I've uh, never heard you mention him before. Uh, so usually, that's, yeah. usually that's a daytime thing. It is, actually. You know? yeah. I know, no walls written in damage in the filming of this story. <laughs> but basically, it was probably, if you could arguably say that it's the most effective Confederate charge in the entire Civil War. You probably can. I, yeah. I know we don't like to do superlatives and this shit, all this stuff. But, I mean, you, you can't think of a better one, right? No. I mean, Longstreet saw that barn door swing open, and he was like, I'm fucking joining that barn dance. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> barn dance? You mean a hootenanny? I don't know. I'm from a really hick county in Ontario. Have you been, have you been to a barn dance? I'm from a hick county in Ontario. Of course I have. So you have? No, actually I actually haven't. No, I haven't. I've been to a barn dance here. In I know there was like, where, where I'm from, from, there was like barn parties and bush parties, but I never went to any of them. I just heard about them. Yeah. <laughs> They're called bush parties. <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a party right there. But your EP Alexander will be invited to a party like that. Probably. He probably would. So anyway, you look at places like Kelly Ford. Kelly Ford. Kelly Fields, you have one of the great names in the Civil War emerge here at this point, the great states' rights gist God. from South Carolina. And that's his birth name. This isn't, this isn't Allegheny Johnson or Stonewall Jackson. or This is his actual name. Think about a guy who was from South Carolina whose actual physical birth name is states' rights, and his last name is gist. What did they do when they were like, when she was pregnant? They were like, what do you want to call the baby, honey? Oh, I don't know. What do you think of states' rights? <laughs> but they were so ahead of the curve, though. <laughs> Sounds good, darling. States' rights, it is. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but he's going to attack at the angle, which is the left wing of the Union. And we apologize to the Just family in South Carolina. You can send all those complaints directly to Cape, Cape Cod's Breakfast <laughs> Club. I knew I was going to do that today. I really wasn't going to. I did my best. Civil War Breakfast Club at gmail.com. I wonder if there's like um, a state's rights just the third somewhere. I would, I would hope so. That would be pretty cool. God, I, bet you he went to, I bet you he went to Rough and Ready High School down there in he Georgia. Probably did. He probably played for the football team and dated one of the cheerleaders. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And then, and then when they went bad, they moved to hard times. Yep. States' rights. But, but anyway, so as this whole thing is going on, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Brigadier General Peyton Colquitt's going to show up. He thought he was going to have support. He isn't going to. He's going to get mortally wounded. They, in like 30 minutes, they're going to have like 30% casualties in his brigade. It's going to go on and on and on. You are going to start to see some of these divisions getting repulsed again now, though. This, this is going to start to repeat itself. Guys like John, is it Liddell? How do you pronounce it? I can't say, pronounce Liddell. this one. Liddell. Liddell. I thought it Liddell. was. You know, I can say yeah. him and Lytle, I confuse. Yeah, so Liddell. John Liddell, the Confederate Liddell. in Polk, um, in Polk he's going to get behind the Union Army again. 
He's going to get repulsed because they're unsupported. And he's one of those divisions that we'll find out later on that Longstreet probably could have really used when we get to Snodgrass Hill in a little while. Yeah. But it, it's just like many of these, he was like one brigade short, it seemed like half the time, or one division short. Again, Deschler from, from Claiborne is going to get pinned down on the ridge again. Mm-hmm. He's actually going to get killed by a shell walking along the battle line. James Deschler, he's going to get hit right in the chest with a shell from this Hazen's is, battery. This is such a horrific, like, I, this is some of the most horrific accounts of the war I've ever read have been. Yeah. Like Antietam, yeah, Antietam probably the most horrific, but some of the accounts from the, the Wisconsin soldiers that were fighting with Lytle and all that were, mm-hmm. were Lytle. So we're, we're past noontime now. Yeah. Okay, the battle's raging. You know who we haven't heard from yet on the Confederate side? Benjamin Cheatham. His, his division, his five brigades are silent. They haven't done a damn thing yet. They're finally going to get action. He was still in reserve. So Longstreet, now he now he's driving right of the Union Army now. Guys like Thomas Hyman's division moving, is moving south of Bushrod for support. He's going to hit Jefferson C. Davis, um, his division under, under, under McCook. Mm-hmm. And then basically, this whole thing is happening basically while the Confederates are hitting these Union guys while they're on the move. They're all trying to fill in that gap again. Yeah, but they're also so like wha- then they start then they're starting to go over towards Thomas too. Right. Thomas has asked for reinforcements, right. so there's a lot of movement yep. going on. Right. So so Davis for Jefferson C. Davis, not the Jefferson Davis guy. Okay, um, he's going to get hit as he's walking. He's still following his orders to fill in that gap that would vacate it. So he they're on their way and they're getting hit. So so this tells you where the Rebs are now. The Rebs are behind the Union lines to the point where they're hitting hitting in their marching lines now. So it just goes to show how how crazy it really, really was. Now, eventually, Hyman's division is going to drive the Union from these ridges. Bushrod is going to continue to do his thing. And it's just going to get more and more and more desperate for the feds. They're going to get pushed back, and they're going to keep getting pushed back. Um, we're going to hear from Lytle here pretty soon. <laughs> but basically, it's just the same situation. The Rebs attack, the Union falls back. Now that you're without your commander who's left the battlefield, you're without two of basically your, your, your core guys. Um, Anderson's division, uh, Patterson and Anderson, he's going to basically drive off the ridge, but he's also, he's also going to basically, he's basically going to, this is what phrase I'm looking for. He drove Phil Sheridan, drives Sheridan's division marching yep. as well. They're going to reinforce Thomas, so they're pushing them along too. So you can just see what a big mess it is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's literally just like a bar fight. Like you described it perfectly that way. Like I know this, this battle, yeah, I thought so. is, yeah, oh, this battle is one of the more, for me anyway, it's very complicated. I mean, battles are complicated for me anyway, because I have a trough, 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 the fuck, tough time envisioning and looking at maps and envisioning what's happening. Like I have to actually go visit the battlefield, but then I have to have someone explain it to me like I'm fucking five years old or years old today how it all works and it it's finally starting to like really click with me some of these battles like Mm -hmm. finally but going to chickamauga is really really helpful that too and you can um like you can see the terrain and what they were fighting in, and you realize like why it was so difficult for them fighting in that terrain there is going to be as this big mass mass exodus i can't talk now either you got me you threw me you threw me off there but there is going to be some stands that can be made and you know i'll let you tell I know you want to tell the William Lytle story. That's going to be the really the the first really Union division that's really going to try to make us a brigade that is try to make a stand. He's in Sheridan's Sheridan's group. So in the face of everything going on, you've got Lytle. Yep. Yeah. Lytle. 
Lytle and his men are going to be the last to leave, which is basically that's the end of that end of the union line right there. When so so William Lytle is he's from Ohio. He's a Democrat. Um, he's a lawyer and he's also a politician as well. But he's also known as the the poet general. He's most famous for his poet po- poem called Antony and Cleopatra. He's famous for that poem on both in the North and the South, and he's well-respected on both sides. And we're going to talk about why that is in a little bit. Mm -hmm. I found his story at Chickamauga to be, it was the one that drew me in the most. And that's because when I was at Chickamauga for the second time, there was a couple park rangers there and they happened to be doing a Facebook live on Lytle Hill about him. They let me stand there and watch them do it. And I got to talk to them afterwards a little bit about Lytle. I got to go, look at the Lytle Monument, which is there. And I posted a picture of it earlier today that I that I took on Lytle Hill. It was actually a rainy day too, which I will go in the battlefields, rain or shine. <laughs> I will just dress for the weather. So it was really actually, I stood where he is going to end up dying. The stand that Lytle and his men make here is what buys the Union Army just a few more minutes mm-hmm. so that the Confederates can't break through. And Lytle is actually, you know, he's like Reynolds. He's out riding in his front front of his men, he's encouraged encouraging them. He's saying things like, My brave boys, keep going, and all that. So the fighting he and his troops experience is actually an example of just how chaotic and horrible this battle was. Um, as I said, he's riding up and down the Union lines, he's waving his hat, and they fire at the approaching Confederates at near point blank range. Um, a soldier from the 24th Wisconsin which is one of the brigades that Lytle commands, says that men began to fall on every side and soon all the firing blending in one general wrote, thick and fast bullets shot and shell came. And then he said the the rebels were so positively close to us all at this time, we could almost see the whites of their eyes. They crawled up stealthily behind logs, trees and bushes. So they're just coming right at them and they have to, Lytle and his men have to keep going. And Lytle ends up getting wounded here. Many it's times. all how, how, how his wounding spine he's on his horse he gets shot in the spine and he stays in the saddle and before he before that happened he had that he saw the the peril of what they were going to do and he had that yeah. great quote where he says if i must die i will die as a gentleman yeah. great quote he gets hit in the spine stays in the saddle and he gets hit three times in the chest, basically all simultaneously. Yep. And then he gets hit through the mouth, and that's what does him in. That's what that's when he falls off his horse. I don't think he would have made it before that. No, I think he he was done. But yeah. like he's so, but he's killed. It's crazy though. Like, but he's out in front of his men, and he is like, he's one of these unsung heroes of the battle. But he's also an example of the reason why Chickamauga. Like you know, I know Chickamauga is not as well known as Gettysburg, but he's an example of like you have these men fighting at Chickamauga that are just as interesting. Their stories are just as interesting as anybody fighting at Gettysburg. You have these unsung heroes that get cut down before their time and all that. But so what happened is when he fell off his horse and he, he ends up dying, that's it for his men. His men are just like, we're done. And they retreat back into Chattanooga. But what happens is the Confederates find his body and they Mm -hmm. post a guard around it until the union can come and recover Lytle's body. And he will be buried in a couple weeks later at Spring Grove Cemetery in Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, the one thing that his men gave him um, a few weeks before he died was a Maltese cross. Am I getting that as a Maltese cross? You are. Why do you think that is? 
because as you and I discovered today, Lytle is a Freemason. He's a Freemason. And that's so exactly Lytle, why the Confederates are protecting his body because they he probably had that Maltese cross on him and he probably maybe he had a ring too, but I'm thinking it's that cross that he had. Well, my my guess is he achieved a certain level mm-hmm. within the craft. The Confederates knew it from something he did or or had on him. Yeah. And we will we're going to do a whole podcast on Freemasonry at, at the Civil War, specifically about Gettysburg. Like I said, in full disclosure, I am a Freemason, mm-hmm. so I know a lot of these stories, and we'll talk more about it. But this is just another case where a fallen brother on the battlefield is taken care of by the enemy, and a lot of people believe that the phrase "the Civil War brother versus brother," you hear that phrase all the time. Yep, that's that is not family. They're talking about Freemasons. Yep. I remember trying to tell so, my dad that when I was like, I don't know. I was like 17 or 18. He's like, no, it was literally family. I said, no, I think it's a Mason thing. <laughs> I mean, no one really knows. I mean, to be honest, I'm, no one really knows. But I know with a lot of, you know, everyone knows the Armistead story and they know the, the yeah. Barlow story. That, with the, what's his name? Brown Gordon, yeah. um, all of them. It's Barksdale. This, we can go on and on and on. We'll do a whole episode of this. But, but this is another case where they presented him with a Maltese cross if if you're a Freemason, if you understand, you understand what that means, and that that's a very high respect thing that they did for him. So that goes to show probably what the the men thought of him, the stand, either the stand he put up, or the fact that maybe he was kind of a poet. Maybe he was. There was a lot going on with that, and we'll never know for sure because I don't think anybody ever talks about it mm-hmm. um, in detail. But but you can sort of read between the lines what was going on, and that's um yeah. that's a pretty cool story. Yeah, no, I just thought it was really powerful how they you know the men protected him. And then that night, the Confederate soldiers, some of them were said to be reciting his poetry by the fire and all that. And just, I wish Lytle's name was a little bit more well-known just for this story, but all like, not just that, but just for the stand that he puts up that he's buying the union like minutes that they need. And he's out with his men and saying, encouraging them to keep going. And his men are just like, they're pushing. Ted Turner just needs to make a movie about him. That's all that has to happen. <laughs> just get your book, just get showered to write a book about him. Then he'll be yep. in the movie. And then everyone will know who, who he is and everyone will visit his monument. Yep. Like when I visited Gettysburg back in the day before the, when the movie was whatever, it was all woods back there. Now you've got this big paved road going to the 20th monuments and it's everyone's Chamberlain, Chamberlain. And he deserves it. Don't get me wrong. Yep. But I think, the popular mainstream isn't going to know who William Lytle is, no. but it's a great story. And his it story is. is really no different than that of Joshua Chamberlain or so many of either Chamberlain or David Ireland or Colonel Colville mm-hmm. or Charles Tilden. And there's, there's so many guys you can go with right down the line. Um, there's William Lytle's on both sides in every battle and very exactly. few people realize it. There is. And that's why it's good to start, you know, to really study a lot of these battles in detail and Lytle's monument is so di- like the monuments at Chickamauga are so different from Gettysburg. Like there's not one statue to a general Lytle's monument is a pyramid of cannonballs. Yeah. I've seen picture. I haven't been at Chickamauga yet. There will be a breakfast club field trip there soon. Hopefully in March, we'll talk about that. Um, but I've seen a lot of the pictures and a lot of the monuments of those pyramids of mm-hmm. cannonballs is quite a, quite a bit yeah, of them. It's a really cool you know? battlefield just for that reason. Um, so the other person that is fighting on this in the battlefield is our boy Wilder. Wilder with yep. his Spencer Repetus yep. going against Matag- Matagod. Matagod? Yep, Alabamians. Yep, Manigault. And South Carolinians too. Give, give yep. the, the yep. Palmetto boys a little bit of credit. Yep. They're on the extreme right of the Union Army and they're kind of 
just southwest of Whittle Glen's cabin. So if you've been to the battlefield, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say Whittle Glen's cabin. Okay. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> so, but the account from the Ala- this one Alabama guy. I'm just going. I'm just going to go stay in the corner. <laughs> yeah, you do that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to orient myself in the battlefield uh, here. We'll tell that. We'll tell that story in the Facebook live. Yeah, we will about the standing. Different, different audience. Yes. So when Wilder's men opened opened fire. One of the Alabamians said that they opened upon us with a continuous sheet of fire. We had no time to pause for the thought of dread or danger. We were in the very jaws of the monster. We could not retreat. Never before had I, nor since have I seen such a terrible execution in so short a time. It was more than mortal never could bear. So it's because they're using their Spencers on these guys. But then Wilder, one of the more able men on the battlefield, Charles Dana shows up and he's like, you need to take me back to Chattanooga. (laughs) Wilder's got to fucking take him back. Oh, he's like, I got to take the plane. I got to go. I got to go back to Vicksburg because I'm supposed to be watching U.S. Grants, yeah, and then I got to get to, back to Washington. Yeah. Charles Dana got everywhere, but again, another situation where you sit there and go, "Yeah, you did a great job, but we got to. You got to take me back. My yeah. mom needs me. I got to. I need to ride back home. Yeah. You know, they do fall back. Longstreet is basically going to call for reinforcements from William up. Uh, uh, Preston, Preston's going to come back up and really drive Wilder back, and that's mm-hmm. he's going to end up taking off as well. Now it gets later in the afternoon. You're going to see guys like Sheridan leaving, Jefferson C. Davis's division. They're they're all going to start leaving, and so basically it's it's almost like one after the other, and it's like the last man out shut off the lights. Something fell out of the tree and landed my deck, and it's kind of slightly startled me. Is Butler fucking around? Look at that Rosewood's clown coming to get me. <laughs> Butler, by the way, is Darren's cat, our floofy yeah. brigade commander. He is. <laughs> so, the, so outside, though. no, he's he's inside, probably sleeping somewhere. But um, so they're going to be gone. Thomas Hinman's going to be basically captured. He's going to be now. It's probably mid afternoon. It's probably two, three o'clock. You're going to see Hinman capture like eleven hundred guys, a bunch of guns down by the bloody pond, and then he they're they're going to move up to help support Bushrod Johnson. This is kind of really with a the rubber kind of hits hits the road. As we hit the north part of, of the battlefield, yeah, as we late in the afternoon. This is where we were heading into Thomas's last stand. Well, not his last stand, but Thomas's stand. He's been told by mm-hmm. Rosecrans to take command of the battlefield. So he has to consolidate the con- scattered Union troops in a line along Snodgrass Hill and Horseshoe Ridge. And this line, I think it extends for about a mile long. It starts at what would be the visitor center and extends all the way up to Snodgrass Hill. Old McDonald's place. Yes, yeah. So from the McDonald's all the way up to Snodgrass Hill, which I mm-hmm. we are going to hike when we're there, actually, because that's something I've always wanted to do is hike that morning. Okay. Right. Um, this is a defensive position, and he has been told that he needs to hold it, but then he's got to retreat back to Rossville Gap and put up a defensive position there. Longstreet is there, and so is Claiborne. Mm-hmm. And they are going to throw 25 separate assaults at Thomas. 25. I've also read 26, but I live in the fear of getting proven wrong by Mary. So we're going to go with 25. Nobody fucking knows. <laughs> All I saw was 20. But before, before we go into the S word, okay, yep. we have to talk a little bit about Harker, Harker's Brigade. Because yep. I think I just think it's a cool story. Yeah, so cool. he's he's in Woods Division. He's making a stand north of Dyer Field. Of course, this is where John Bell Hood gets injured again. So he gets hurt again. And so 
they're driven off by Joseph Kershaw. Joseph Kershaw, at this battle, their soldiers all wore blue uniforms. And they were gifts. They were South Carolinians, but the uniforms were gifts from the state of North Carolina. But they had blue uniforms. So Harker sees approaching troops all wearing blue uniforms and says, finally, my reinforcements are here. Right when they get right there, they realize they're Confederates. Basically, gets hit pretty hard by Kershaw. Kind of a throwback to first Manassas a little bit with the blue uniforms, with that story. But I always thought that was kind of cool because Harker's stand, he, he did stall him through that final roadblock on. He did put that stand up that did allow the Union forces just a little bit more time to fall back and start to regroup on Snodgrass. So that was the final, final speed bump that was thrown in the way to give these guys a chance before Longstreet, Longstreet attacked basically by himself with his 26 attacks. <laughs> we don't know. Five. But before we get to Snodgrass, it's important that we remember one thing, that I said every time you said Snodgrass, I was going to take a drink last week. Remember? Yep. Yeah, you told so everybody I, to do that too. So this is the part of the show where it's going to be 10 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, you're listening to this. Every time Mary says Snodgrass... You've got to take a drink because she's going to say it about a hundred times here in the next four minutes. Snodgrass, Snodgrass, <laughs> Snodgrass, Snodgrass, Snodgrass. See, now you're just being now you're just being over the top now. But no, <laughs> unnecessary, unnecessary. But I digress. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mary Fincher is going to tell you all about Longstreet's attack without Polk on Snodgrass Hill. Well, so this is where Thomas is going to earn his nickname, the Rock of Chickamauga, which is given to him by James Garfield. Just because of the stand that Thomas is, Thomas makes there. So the one thing that I've been to Snodgrass Hill every time I go to Chickamauga, I go there a couple times. It's kind of like my little round top. Like that's, I mean, little round top is my favorite to go to at Gettysburg, but Snodgrass Hill, it's a lot like that. It's a very powerful place to go. So when I was there with, actually, I was there with my friend Jessica, who I know she's a listener. She's a good friend of ours. She's a very, very talented artist who lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Jessica is just an awesome human being. Yeah, she is. She's amazing. That's what she is. Definitely one of my soul sisters. And we had such a great time together. So we went to Snodgrass Hill and we actually went off the beaten path and we went down to one of the places that Longstreet would have been making his assaults and to stand there in the tree, like it was trees. So I can't imagine being a Confederate soldier and charging up that and just getting shot at. No, I have to ask, I have not been there like you have. Was is that what the train looked like when you were there at the battle? Because I know a lot of places like Antietam and Gettysburg, they had a lot of animals on the field that shoot at a lot of the underbrush. So, like, for example, if you look at the Rosewoods now or places like that, it doesn't. the, the tree lines are about the same, but the density or like, like Herbst Woods, for example, the density is not as is, – is, it looked more like a picnic ground. Yeah. So do you know, and maybe you don't, I hate to put you on the spot with this, no, but do you okay. know if like if, if those places were that like that, were there animals on the field? Because I know George Washington Snodgrass was like, I own that property. Yeah. And he stayed on that house until bullets started hitting his house. He's like, pack it up, roll them up, like yeah. vacation. Well, you know, the, er- the area that we were would have been forested, I think. Okay. I was, I was just I was going to ask you that off the, off the air, but it popped into my head. Yeah. So no, I was just I, curious. I'm so. not 100% sure. I know there's a monument down there. I think it's to an a North Carolina brigade or regiment. It's a beautiful area, the battlefield. Like the whole area is just gorgeous to sit at, especially sunset. And just there's a lot of Ohio monuments up there too. That's where one of the, um, actually Sherman's brother formed, John Sherman. He was the okay. Were they the ones that was at the ninth who charged down the hill? So I just, 
No, and how I as you can remember, as you like, as you know, as you can tell, we we thoroughly rehearsed these. As, as like, you can this is something tell. like if he if it was he and I off air, I'd be like, yes, it's this one. And now I'm like, shit, am I getting? I would say, right? no fucker, it was the no night to hire. Um, so <laughs> the one thing that helps these guys out is Negley's twenty first Ohio shows up here, and they're armed with Colt revolving rifles, which can fire, I think, five shots at once. Mm-hmm. So they're there to help out as well. But Thomas manages to just keep repulsing these charges. And then he finally says, okay, we got to start. And one by one, they start retreating back into Chattanooga and falling Mm -hmm. back towards Rossville Gap. And there's three regiments that that were left behind. The 22nd Michigan, the 89th Ohio, and the 21st Ohio. And they're left behind without sufficient ammunition. And they're ordered to use their bayonets. And they will hold that position which basically helps save the union again mm-hmm. until Preston's division surrounds them and they're forced to surrender. And that, I hear that story. It reminds me so much of Charles Tilden at mm-hmm. the 16th Maine at Gettysburg. So yeah. much reminds me so much of that, except I think those three, those three regiments you mentioned, I think kind of got lost or they didn't get the message. Whereas the 16th Maine was told you got to, Sorry, you, you suck. You got to. You're gonna have to stay here. You can't. You can't leave. You have to. You help mass the retreat. But there's, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of other, you know, regiments. When you think of Snodgrass, you got to think of the the 82nd Indiana. You got to think of uh, Morton Hunter, who basically made that stand. They were the first to arrive in those Ninth Ohio's. Those Germans from Vanderveer's brigade and Brennan's division, where they basically charged down the hill. Where are you going? No, we're going. There was so many individual stories of regimental guess, heroism, I guess, if that's the phrase. Yeah, at this, but, at this stand. Like, it's an amazing. Right. Like, and Thomas is having to ride up and down this line, just encouraging them to stay and to hold the line. Because if they break and the Confederates get on the Lafayette Road, it could be dangerous. I'm just trying to find that monument on my phone, actually, because I know. Oh, okay. It is the 64th Ohio Infantry, organized by John Sherman. Okay. Third Brigade, but, First Division, Twenty First Army. But this, but you know, as, as this attack's going on, as vicious as it was, it does cast the light again on Bragg's incompetence with this, though, mm-hmm. because Longstreet has to go by himself, and he wants Polk to support him. But Bragg tells him basically, I forget the phrase he used, but it was like basically, Polk's men have no more fight left in them today, or something like that. Yep. And so Longstreet has to do it all by himself. You know, and then you got you got stories where guys like Benjamin Humphreys, the, uh, his Mississippians, didn't attack because he said he that there was no artillery support. If we can't get artillery, we we can't attack. And somehow Longstreet says, "Okay, don't worry about it. Stay back then." And so there's all kinds of little things that you see this, and you go, "What the hell?" It, that just doesn't seem to make any sense. Kershaw does attack again, but since Humphrey wasn't there. Kershaw doesn't realize is a, there's that mile gap that's taking place between Kelly Field and Snodgrass Hill that they could take advantage of and burst right through. But there's no one there to basically tell him this, there's this opening here. Mm-hmm. So it's just little, little things that that's what gets you are these little things. I mean, yeah. again, we've said this a billion times. We'll say it a billion more. We've had 157, 58 years to digest this stuff. This stuff's happening in real time. There's smoke on the battlefield. There's a million things going on. But you look at how many opportunities now the the rebels did ultimately win this battle, yeah. but there was a, they went up by about that much. They yeah. really did. Well, yeah, but I mean, Thomas doing this, he is such a true hero for doing this. Basically being told by Rosecrans, hey, dude, I'm back in, like, I had to fucking evacuate the dance floor. And I'm heading back to Chattanooga. Can you just take control of things and um, slowly retreat? 
Dr. Ross Vogel, can you do that for me? And he just does it. Like, yes. And that's why, like, to me, my opinion is like, yeah, my favorite general is Oliver Otis Howard. But to me, the most talented man the Union Army had was General George Henry Thomas. Yeah, he probably was. And, you know, he's a guy who almost reminds me a little bit of Burbsy McPherson a little bit for some reason. Yeah. Maybe because yeah. they look a little bit alike and yeah, they're in the absolutely. West. And yeah. I think they both had potential. Obviously, you know, John Thomas lived a lot longer than than. McPherson did. Only by um, five years, say, he dies in, but, I think, 1869. Yeah, right around there. But um, I did say Burbseye, by the way. Yeah, you, you noticed that, right? That's his middle name, <laughs> so, Burbseye. James Burbseye McPherson. But again, you know, the Union got a lot of help too, though, because this is, Thomas is thinking, he hears, he, he looks up and there's that old story how I saw dust on the horizon, so I know there were troops. Yeah. And he's like, fuck, this is the last thing I need is troops from the north coming down now, and now I'm going to be surrounded. I'm mm-hmm. screwed. Turns out it's General Granger's reserves, you know, and they basically show up with like 7,500 guys and like 80,000 rounds of ammunition. They've got all this this stuff to really support them. And it basically allows the help, uh, help solidify that line for the time being. You know, there's that story where one of his brigade, one of his division commanders, a guy named James Stedman, we talked about this this morning too, where his soldiers were like, I don't think I want to be doing this. So he literally is throwing rocks at them. Yeah. Throwing rocks at his own soldiers to get them in line. And then finally, he grabs the freaking colors and says, follow me. And he's carrying the, the, the colors. Wow. Of the, oh, I mean, this is the division commander. This isn't some slapdick oh, yeah. colonel. I mean, this is, this is, you know, it reminds me of, oh, oh, Howard grabbing the flag at Gettysburg. Well, yeah, but that's just, you know, that's another reason reason why like chickamauga just became such a different battle like soldiers battle like there's they're doing stuff they wouldn't have to normally do right and like yeah it's it's crazy there's some really cool stories in this that a lot of people don't know because it's not it's not as studied as gettysburg i mean i'm not discounting gettysburg gettysburg is one of my favorite battles to study too it's like my favorite place on earth but but chickamauga is Uh, it's worth picking up a book and reading about uh, all Civil War battlefields matter. Yeah, they, oh yeah, exactly. There you go. They do. This, for the dish motto for the day. No. So that, we, we do have to start wrapping this up. Otherwise, we're going to lose listeners. <laughs> I guess I think oh. we've gone over our hour mark. Yeah, so we'll finish up real quick. So, so Garfield, basically, he's going to come back to the battlefield. And Rosecrans tells him, do me a favor. I want you to stay here. I'm going to go. I want you to help prepare the defenses of Chattanooga. Garfield says, fuck that. I'm going. So he goes on his own ultimately ends up with probably Rosecrans probably getting dumped for that, I think, at the end of the day. But late in the afternoon, it, it, it's, it's basically the, they finally, the Confederates finally push them off. Uh, guys like Preston finally, like you mentioned, finally attacks it's with his Alabamans and his Tennesseans. They're going to run it. It's going to get dark out. It, it's, night's going to fall again. Yeah. That's pretty much going to bring the end to the whole thing. You know, Cheatham's division is finally going to come in. But at the end of the day, you know, you look at what Federals ultimately did on Snodgrass Hill, which really helped the Union fall back, set up that defense at Chattanooga, which is going to ultimately be a battle that's going to be won on November 25th, the greatest day of the year, a few months later on. But it's going to be a siege and Chattanooga or or Chickamauga will be the worst Union defeat in the West and the second Mm -hmm. bloodiest day of the Civil War with 34,624 casualties. 16,000 yeah, 16, Union, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. And 16,170 Union and 18,454 Confederates. You know what that means for math? I know you're the math expert, 
but I will tell you this. That means out of 34,000, when you look at the soldiers there, one of every three engaged soldiers was a casualty in this battle. One of 33% casualty rate for engaged soldiers. Yeah. That qualifies as a holy shit moment. Yeah, it, when you this, look at this, this whole battle thing, battle is extremely horrific. It, it's especially like when you go when you go see it, and you know what happened. You understand with the terrain. You can't imagine fighting in that. You understand why views were obscured, why battle lines just became so disrupted, and why this is actually the first instance of where they start having to do trench warfare. Yeah, yeah, like, it certainly was. And and at the end of the day, they're going to set up a beautiful military park, which will be the first one. Yep. You know, people think it's Gettysburg, it but it wasn't. You know, 1,400 monuments and markers, over 52 acres. And I am looking forward to visiting that with you in March. Yep. And you can show me all these things. Yep. All the, you not, can show me all the, all the quality bars in the Chickamauga, Chattanooga okay. area by Mary Fincher. there's Fenture. not one statue to a, to a general on the battlefield. No. Exactly. The only general statue that I know of in the area is Patrick Claiborne at, at Ringgold Gap. Just a couple other things to add about this before we wrap this up is... There's a few skirmishes on the 21st, but Bragg doesn't really do anything. The Union are back in Chattanooga. Thomas is around Rossville Gap, and they're in a siege. They are actually in the entrenchments that and breastworks that the Confederates had made when they were occupying Chattanooga. Charles Dana said of this battle, Chickamauga is as fatal a name in our history as Bull Run. Our soldiers turned and fled. It was a wholesale panic, which I don't... Com- I don't agree with him at all about that. I think it was one of the most amazing stands ever made, like in, in the Civil War with what Thomas did, how he, how men like Thomas and Lytle, they bought time and Wilder. There's, they settled, they settled, breaking, making time, like buying time. Yeah. They settled down a melee. They yeah. calmed the fight down at the end and they didn't win the, they didn't, the old phrase, they didn't win the battle, but they won the war, actually yep. applies to this one. It really does. Yeah. And so Powell, who is, um, David Powell, is one of the experts about Chickamauga, and he's a really, really nice guy. Hey, we talked to him. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we got to talk to <laughs> we Powell. We talked to him. Yeah, yeah, he's a really nice guy. He calls it yeah. a barren, barren victory just because Bragg doesn't really do anything after it at all and and then so of course rosecrans after he's like really shaken up about it lincoln says be of good cheer we have unabated confidence in you and your soldiers and officers but then he goes and says to john hey a few weeks later rosecrans is confused and stunned like a duck head on the head (laughs) and he got rid of him soon after but the most important thing to take away from that this battle is even though it's the worst union defeat in the west that the Army of the Cumberland, so the Union, is holding Chattanooga, which was the strategic object of Bragg's campaign against them. So they have won the strategy of this. Bragg's got a win, but it's not, he hasn't got what he has set out to get, which was Chattanooga. Yeah, Rosecrans was his white whale, though. He had so much trouble with Rosecrans up to that point, and he finally beat him. I'm sure he must have been, must have been excited to finally beat him. It didn't last long, but it, but no. I'm sure there was some I'm sure there was some pleasure in that, and and God knows what was going on in Bragg's situation. We know Rosecrans never slept and that fucked with his head the whole time, yeah. and who knows what was going on with Bragg. I still think having those three lieutenant generals looking over his shoulder had a lot to do with Bragg. I think he was afraid to make a mistake. There, that that was this was at the time when he's starting to get really like. There's a lot of drama that goes on between this. So where we are going to leave you guys is with this, that the Union is in a strong defensive position in Chattanooga. Bragg's troops are extended in a line from Lookout Mountain to Missionary Ridge, which is their extreme left. And actually, 
Missionary Ridge is where Patrick Claiborne is going to be for the next little while. And they are putting Rosecrans and Chattanooga under siege. That's where we will leave you. And we are going to pick it back up in November with the battles for Chattanooga, which I am sure that we will have a, at least two episodes devoted to this. Mm-hmm. By that time, the Union Army here is going to have a new commander and Rosecrans is going to be gone. Yes. So next week, we are going to talk about McClellan and Lincoln. Yep, at Antietam. At Antietam. So right around this, right around, it was a couple of days ago. This is this is Tuesday, the 6th of October. So this would have been going back to the 4th of 1860, 1862. Abe Lincoln makes a pay, pays a visit to George McClellan and Antietam. It's going to end up McClellan being eventually replaced. But we are going to have some fun with that. There might even be some text messages talked about. We'll yeah. see. We'll see what's going on in our imaginations. But we were going to talk specifically about the McClellan-Lincoln situation at Antietam. We're going to take it back east. We're going to leave the west side. We're going to go back to the east side. And we're going to have some fun with that next week. Yeah. Just as a reminder, we are going to have our Facebook Live at 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. On paper, we t- we'll talk about this, but in reality, we know we're not going to. No. It'll, go it'll go off the rail like it always we does. We might talk about the battle for the Legos in the west. Hello. That's a very important, you know, <laughs> the, Magos. the Magos, you know, but again, just a reminder, some real housekeeping things. We are going to be doing that uh, civil war breakfast club round table on the 21st of yeah. October. That's going to be at 6 PM. So if you aren't interested in doing that, all we're going to do is we're going to bring a bunch of people in and we're just going to shoot the shit about the civil war. Yeah. We want everyone to participate. This is not going to be a lecture. We just want to hang out, have a couple of beers, talk about your Civil War experiences, the fun you've had with this, and we're going to start to do that. So that's pretty much what we're going to do. Sounds like a good time, don't you think? I think so, yeah. So yeah, if you want to sign up for that roundtable or you have any questions about it or if you have episode ideas, just send us an email at civilwarbreakfastclub at gmail.com and it'll probably be me getting back to you because Darren's a bastard and doesn't check the email account. Wow. You know what? I, you know what? That's fair. That's fair. I'll go with bastard. I like bastard. That's pretty close. Better than tattoo diva bitch. Fucker. Oh, God. So mean. So mean to me. So mean. Be punished. <laughs> stupid. <laughs> so stupid. Anyway, so Mary, we'll look forward to talking to you next time and we'll have fun with that. As always, a pleasure. So again, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for doing whatever the hell you're doing. Glad you pay attention to us for this little hour we do and have a fun with us and get to share a little bit of your time with us. So any final words, Mayor? Oh, thank you for everybody who interacts with us, interacts with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate your support. And Darren, uh, you brought this episode tonight for sure. Oh, come on. I'm, 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 I am just a sidecar. Anytime, <laughs> anytime you talk about Chickamauga, it's like watching a kid talk about Christmas and Santa Claus. So I'm just happy to be a member of the team watching you do your thing because you 18 it again, Mary. No doubt about it. Well, so did you. No, I'll do our best we can. <laughs> anyway, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, everybody. And we look forward to talking to you next time. See ya. Peace out. Bye.